Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, a peace of mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Episode 112 will be the last episode that I have specifically planned in the topic of generational trauma. If after I am done with this one, you still feel like there are unanswered questions or someone out there has something they would like me to address, please let me know. There are a handful of ways to reach me. And for now, that's what you've got. So if you want something more that I have not covered, please let me know. This particular episode is going to be a very brief, shallow dive into epigenetics. And I will start with explaining the actual definition of epigenetics. To begin this discussion, I'm going to be using an article from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was last reviewed in August of 2022, and it is a reasonable description with fairly easy to understand information about epigenetics. And I will explain why this is important to the generational trauma topic in a bit. I'm going to follow this article pretty closely. So here goes. Our genes play an important role in our health. And so do our behaviors and environment. So what we eat, how physically active we are, whether we practice mindfulness, these things affect our genes. This is a nature versus nurture setup. Epigenetics is the study of how our behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes work. So Unlike genetic changes, epigenetic changes are reversible, and they do not change our DNA sequence. What they do do, haha, do-do, my brother would laugh and laugh and laugh, is they change how our body reads a DNA sequence. So gene expression is probably something you may have heard about, probably don't hear about very often. However, gene expression refers to how often or when proteins are created from the instructions that our genes have within them. So our genes are little instruction manuals and they create proteins. And these genetic Genetic changes can alter which protein is made. Epigenetic changes affect gene expression and either turn on or off certain expressions of genes. Since our environment and our behaviors, again, your happiness level, your whether you live in poverty, whether you live in a war zone, whether you have a good diet or a diet 
lacking in nutrition, whether you are active or inactive, all of these environmental conditions can result in epigenetic changes. And this is a window into the connection between genes and our environment. So how does epigenetics actually work? It works through three different epigenetic changes. And I'm going to go through those. This is not to be understood on a first go round. And so if some of this is whizzing by you without you comprehending it in full, don't worry about that. It's not a problem. So we're going to first talk about DNA methylation. And this epigenetic change works by adding a chemical group to our DNA. And this group is usually added to specific places on our DNA to block the proteins that attach to the DNA to decode the gene. This same chemical group can be removed through the opposite process called demethylation. Methylation turns genes off and demethylation turns genes on. Okay, that's the first one. The next one is histone modification. This is where DNA wraps around proteins that are called histones. When the histones are really tight and packed together, the proteins that read the gene don't have easy access to the DNA. So that particular gene is turned off. When the histones are packed more loosely, then more DNA is exposed and visible and not wrapped around a histone so they can be accessed by proteins that read the gene and this means the gene is turned on. Chemical groups can be added or removed from the histones to make them either more tightly or loosely packed, turning genes off or on. I know, pretty complicated. At least I think so. Because I don't know much about genetics, let alone epigenetics. Now, the third one is non-coding RNA. So, we have DNA. And this DNA is used as instructions for making coding RNA and non-coding RNA. Coding RNA is what is used to make the proteins. Non-coding RNA is what helps manage gene expression by attaching to coding RNA along with certain proteins. These certain proteins break down the coding RNA so that it can't be used to make proteins. 
non-coding RNA may also recruit proteins to modify histones to turn genes on or off. Okay, those are the three ways that epigenetic changes can occur. Now, one of the things that struck me as I was reading this and the several articles about this is that there was an article called Epigenetics for Dummies, which I'm not going to get into. But one of the things that this gentleman, whose name is John Lawner, said is that many people, and I don't know how he's identifying people, but many are jumping on the epigenetics bandwagon without really ever understanding genetics as a base. And this was written as a point of critical feedback because his article was just talking about the limitations of epigenetics and epigenetic research. And his point for me is well taken. If you're not going to go to the trouble of understanding genetics, then this dive into epigenetics is very superficial and very surface only to give context to generational trauma. And if this is a subject that interests you, do yourself a favor and understand genetics first. With that, let's talk about how can our epigenetics actually change? So this CDC article gives examples. And again, I'm pretty much using this article, not verbatim, but if you were to look at it, you would see how very closely I am referencing it. Epigenetics change as we age. This is part of normal development and normal aging. And there is this behavior and environment component. So we have our nature and we have our nurture. So epigenetics and development. Our epigenetic changes begin before we are even born. All of our cells as human beings have the same genes, but they look and act differently. So as we grow and age and change and mature, epigenetics helps to determine which function any given cell might have. So we have a whole bunch of cells. All of the cells are very similar. They have the same genes and epigenetics determines whether one of these cells will function as a heart cell, a nerve cell, or a skin cell. So let's talk about the difference between a nerve cell and a muscle cell. Muscle cells and nerve cells have the same DNA, but they work differently. So a nerve cell is the cell in your body that transports information to other cells in our body. Communication through nerve cells. A muscle cell is a structure that aids a body's ability to move. If we talk about it in terms of epigenetics, then we learn that epigenetics is the process or the change by which a muscle cell turns on 
the genes to make the proteins important for its job, moving our bodies, and turns off the genes that work for a nerve cell. So a muscle cell does not have the same proteins that a nerve cell has, but they have the same DNA structure. All right, the next one is epigenetics and age. So if our epigenetics are changing before we're even born, that means they change throughout our lives. So we have conditions that we exist in at birth, and then we will have conditions that we exist in at childhood, middle adulthood, later adulthood, and death. So the there is a there's been a research study that sort of gauges this information at a newborn stage, a 26-year-old, and a 103-year-old. And basically what they found is that all three of these have different representations of epigenetics. DNA methylation, DNA methylation at millions of sites were measured in a newborn, a 26-year-old, and a 103-year-old. Millions of sites, that cracks me up. I love that we have millions of sites in our bodies to do this recording. And measurement. The level of DNA methylation decreases with age. A newborn had the highest DNA methylation, the 103-year-old had the lowest DNA methylation, and the 26-year-old had a DNA methylation level between the newborn and the 103-year-old, obviously. Now, I'm going to take a minute and try and explain a little bit more about methylation just briefly. DNA methylation is an example of one of these epigenetic mechanisms. It often inhibits the expression of certain genes. The methylation process has the potential to stop a tumor-causing gene from turning on, thereby not or I was going to say not causing cancer, but really the word is preventing cancer. So let me say that again. DNA methylation often inhibits the expression of certain genes. The methylation process has the potential to stop a tumor-causing gene from turning on, preventing cancer. And right now, experts are working to better understand these factors. And based on early findings, this is an article from 2018, because I'm using a different one, early finders, there is some evidence that diet, physical activity, mindfulness, all of those kinds of things plays a role in how you can impact your DNA methylation. All right, I'm going to stop there on the methylation thing, because again, this is not a deep dive. This is just a brief overview because I'm going to get to the generational trauma part in a minute. Now let's talk about epigenetics and reversibility using smokers, non-smokers, and former smokers. I don't know how familiar are how familiar you are with the idea that not that if you quit smoking, you can pretty much expect if you live long enough to have your lungs return to pre-smoking state. 
their pre-smoking state where all of that crud and sludge and ash and whatever that horrible stuff is in your lungs from smoking actually is gone and the regenerative lung looks almost good as new. So let's talk about epigenetics and reversibility. Not all epigenetic changes are permanent, and some of them can be added or removed in response to changes in behavior and environment. Stop smoking and let's look what happens. So smoking itself results in epigenetic changes. Certain parts of a gene, which they refer to as the AHRR gene, in smokers, they have less DNA methylation than non-smokers. The difference is greater for heavy smokers and long-term smokers. So if you quit smoking, you, that makes you a former smoker, and you then can begin to have increased DNA methylation at this gene, the AHRR gene. Eventually, this can rise to the level similar to that of a non-smoker. In some cases, this can happen rather quickly, but it depends on how long and how much or how heavy a smoker you were. So epigenetics is the means by which you can actually reverse some negative damage to your cells. They also talk about epigenetics and your immune system and health. So germs have an impact on your epigenetics and they can weaken your immune system. And if you have a weakened immune system, you generally have a place where a germ or a virus can survive. So they use the example of mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is the germ bacteria that causes tuberculosis. Infections with these germs cause changes to histones in our immune cells. And this results in turning off the IL-12B gene. When you turn off the IL-12B gene, it weakens your immune system and improves the survival of the mycobacterium tuberculosis. This would be the case for many, many other bacterias. Certain genes get turned on and certain genes get turned off. Cancer is the next one they use as an example. Certain mutations make a human being more likely to develop cancer. Some epigenetic changes increase cancer risks. If you have a mutation in the BRCA1 gene, that prevents it from working the way it should, it makes you more likely to uh, have get breast or other cancers. Similarly, increased DNA methylation that results in decreased BRCA1 gene expression raises your risk for breast and other cancers. Cancer cells that have increased DNA methylation at certain genes, overall DNA methylation levels are lower in cancer cells compared with normal cells. Different types of cancer that look alike can have different DNA methylation patterns. Epigenetics can be used to help determine which types of cancer a person has 
or can help to find some hard to, hard to detect cancers. Epigenetics do not diagnose cancer, and cancers would need to obviously be confirmed by other um, methods if this is something that you're concerned about. That cancer explanation was pretty much over my head, but the example that they use is colorectal cancel, cancer, and they talk about the uh, commercial colorectal cancer screenings that use stool samples, and they do it by looking for abnormal DNA methylation levels at one or more of the DNA regions. And so that's a real-world application of what this DNA methylation means as it relates to cancer. So if you are debating on whether or not to go get a colonoscopy or do one of the over-the-counter, I'm not sure that's the right word, but you can get a prescription from your doctor and do one of the commercial screenings and they use DNA in order to look for that particular cancer. So that is how that is used in real world application. All right, the last one is a woman's health during pregnancy. So nutrition during pregnancy. They actually use the Dutch hunger winter famine to talk about how a woman's, a, a woman's health during pregnancy will impact the epigenetics of her baby. So the people whose mothers were pregnant during the famine were more likely to develop diseases such as heart disease, schizophrenia, and type 2 diabetes. And this was in children around 60 years later. And researchers looked at their methylation levels and they had increased methylation at some genes and decreased methylation at others compared to their siblings who were not exposed to the famine before birth. So they're looking at siblings to see the difference in their methylation. And it's the differences in the DNA methylation that explains why there was an increased likelihood for disease for those children of the famine in later famine in later life. Okay. That is just an overview and a brief summation of what epigenetics is. And the oldest article I referenced was 2016. The most recent reviewed and updated article was the one from the CDC of 2022. This is a an area that there is a lot of continuing research. It is not the end-all and the be-all of the argument between nature versus nurture. It is, however, important in the discussion of generational trauma. A brief overview of generational trauma, intergenerational trauma, or inherited trauma, is the term for the traumatic impacts that we pass from one generation of a family to another. The big ones include genocide, slavery, racism, 
lots of studies have been done on the Holocaust survivors and their children, war, famine, natural disasters. Those are the big ones. Trauma can have deep consequences for our progeny. And some of the consequences are external and obvious because if you are a victim of genocide or and you have to flee from your home country and you are taken in as a refugee in another country, then you are experiencing all of the limitations of being displaced. And as parents, you are raising children in a new country and you might have financial struggles. You might have difficulty with the language. It might be hard for your children to get into school or to be successful in school. So there are a whole lot of external things that come from the generation that was part of a refugee experience. There is also those, there are also behavioral patterns that exist in families as a result of trauma. And so if your mother was abused by her father and she has a fear of men in some way or another, despite the fact that she's married, despite the fact that she appears to be functioning, you may receive messages about men from your mother as a result of her trauma. Those messages get internalized by the next generation who either perpetuates them or recognizes them and decides to leave them behind. And so there are lots of ways generational trauma gets passed down. The epigenetics of it is where, again, our DNA includes encoded instructions for cell production. Gene expression happens when the code is read and put into action. And the code or the protein interpretation okay, may differ on certain factors. So epigenetics focuses on this process, looking at how different experiences affect gene expression and whether those changes are passed along. The research or the researchers believe that traumatic experiences of all kinds create chemical tags. This is the, I can't remember what I called it in the other article, but chemical tags that attach to our genes to influence how they function. These are the methyl groups. And then these methyl groups are passed along to our children. That is how epigenetics impacts generational trauma. And science and research does not fully understand this epigenetic picture. And there is some evidence, there is some anecdotal evidence, and there is enough of this for the research to continue.
because experiencing severe trauma and then living in a way either externally or internally that passes down this trauma to the next generation is not a very good thing. I was going to say something else, but basically it's just not good, which is why the whole idea of breaking generational trauma is a real hot topic in the world of mental health. Well, I am ending this one. My brain feels a tiny bit scrambled over the genetic slash epigenetic stuff that I don't understand. And I highly suggest that if this is a subject that interests you, that you heed my earlier advice and learn a bit about genetics before you go into epigenetics. It is fascinating stuff. And if you feel like it is an important part on your healing journey, I highly recommend it. I'm going to leave you with a quote by Peter A. Levine, who is a trauma specialist. The paradox of trauma is that it has both the power to destroy and the power to transform and resurrect. And have a good week. 